Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. And welcome to part two of this week's Flirty Friends Face-Off. So, on Monday's episode, we saw what happened when Harry met Sally, then lost touch with Sally, then met Sally again, and so on and so on. But today, Sandra Bullock doesn't even get as far as meeting her dream man before he's in a coma and everyone thinks she's his fiance. What are the chances? Slim is the answer. From 1995, we're talking while you were sleeping. For Lucy, loneliness was a way of life. But the moment she saw Peter, she became a believer in love at first sight. He was perfect. Then fate stepped in. Oh! Mister, there's a train coming! Oh, God, you smell good. Now she's part of his life. He's in a coma. Oh, I was going to marry him. Who's she? She's his fiance. No, no, no. Peter's engaged. She saved his life. We'll have a champion at the end of the show, but which film will it be? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Butters. I don't drink anymore. I don't drink any less either. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. So part two of this week's Flirty Friends Face-Off. Chris, you took us magnificently through When Harry Met Sally on Monday. And today, it's my turn to guide us through while you were sleeping. Uh, One side note, in case you weren't aware, not only were these uh, Vicky's choices, but today's film features an actor (laughs) who I think it's fair to say you are a little bit in love with. I am. Yeah. I mean, more than a little bit, really. Yeah. It, It is Sandra Bullock. My favourite woman. <laughs> definitively your favourite woman. Um, yes, she is. She has it all. She is successful. She's beautiful. She's funny. She's grounded. She's warm. Mm. She's a family person. Yeah. She is a very she's a force of nature. That's a good joke. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Um I mean, I'd normally tell that as just hyperbole, but actually reading it's around this movie, like everyone just goes bloody lovely she is she is bloody lovely is old Sandra Bullock alright then while you were sleeping here we go Sandra Bullock is Lucy who works at the Chicago L train station where every day an attractive businessman passes her ticket booth who she believes she's destined to be with it's love then on Christmas day some hoodlums push him onto the tracks and he falls into a coma Lucy rescues him and takes him to hospital, where there is a hilarious case of crossed wires, a theme that this film bloody loves, like it cannot get enough of people hearing things out of context. Anyway, Coma Guy's family are convinced she's his fiance, but uh-oh, here's blue-collar Bill Pullman, Coma Guy's brother, who Sandy also falls for. 
Who will she end up with? Bill Pullman or the guy who doesn't say anything for 90% of the film? Ladies and gentlemen, for your consideration while you were sleeping. So, histories with this movie. Uh, I I guess we'll start with you, Victoria, because I imagine it's lengthy. (laughs) Do you? No, it's quick. Uh, I went to the cinema to see it with my friend Lucy, and we both had a huge crush on Bill Pullman, and Lucy's called Lucy, and that was amazing for us, and we were in the cinema like... Bill Pullman's going to have sex with you, dude. (laughs) (laughs) That's not weird. (laughs) But it isn't. It's quite intoxicating if someone you fancy says your name. Yeah, even if it's on the screen. I mean, no. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, it is. A little bit. How old were you? Oh, well, I was really young. Um, I should not have been thinking about Bill Pullman in these (laughs) terms. I think I was like 14, 13 or 14. Chris? Yeah, mine's a bit weirder than that. Weirder, I... weirder than that. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, this is around the time I started dating my first ever girlfriend when this film came out, and I was madly in love with Sandra Bullock. And um, I guess I was kind of partly going out with this girl because she looked like Sandra Bullock. And this girl, I guess, around the time this film came out, she found out someone had told her, "Oh, Chris is only going out with you because you look like Sandra Bullock." Oh no. And she was a bit upset by it. Why would you be upset yeah. about that? She didn't like it. And so for that reason, I couldn't go and see this film because she didn't want to go and see it. Oh, wait. When they said it to her, did they say the only reason? Like, was there, like, as opposed to one of the reasons? It's 25 years ago now. I'm not sure. But it was just, it was, it, 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 it drove a wedge between us. Right? And it meant I didn't get to see while you were sleeping for quite a while because I'd suggested going to see it at the cinema and she just gave me a look. So Facebook stalked her. Mm, yeah. Ah, what? <laughs> I mean, a long time ago. She's not on there. So, right. Yeah, right. that's as far as it's gone. I, yeah, I wonder what, what she was up to, but no, she's not around. So, okay. For the best. So, when did you finally see it? Can't remember. On video, a couple of years later. Right. I thought it was all right. Um, I'll keep mine brief. First watch for no. me. No. Yeah, I, I realised this as I because I, I, I haven't seen Sleepers in Seattle. Either. What? Right, I know. Or You've Got Mail. Uh, I mean, that's less no. important. But I guess my point is that I just realised there's a huge gap in my mm. sort of rom-com education because, you know, in the in the mid-90s, there were a lot of films yep. that far more entertained my certain predilections. Yeah. Sounds weird. That does sound awful. I don't know why. Yeah. Uh, that were around, so I just sort of went, no, it's a rom-com. I thought you'd come with this, and I'm not uh, being snarky, but just here's a little fact for you. Mm-hmm. Do you want to know how much it made? 180 million? Yeah, 182 million. Do you know how much Event Horizon made? That's 20 million? 26. Do you know how much Layer Cake made? 11. Okay. So what I'm saying is, we these films are big, and I understand why they, there may be a bit of a blind spot, but uh, we cannot ignore them. No. I'm I don't the- that wasn't Alex's point. He yeah, just well, said he hadn't seen it before. Yeah. That so. he wasn't watching romantic comedies in the 90s. Oh, you're going to get a shot, Victoria. I don't have as many problems with this film as you might think. <laughs> I'm a bit pretty worried. Don't be worried. Don't be worried. This is not another Romeo and Michelle's high school fucking reunion. <laughs> Trust me. Um, because I too, uh, like you and indeed Chris... Mm. I'm madly in love with Sandra Bullock. Chris um, likes her so much, he tried to <laughs> assemble her <laughs> from this poor Croydon schoolgirl. <laughs> she was blonde, that was the difference. Well, this she doesn't was... look like Sandra Bullock oh, then. She really did. Yeah, it was weird. <laughs> sort of Sandra Bullock in the blind side, sort of late Sandra Bullock. Sure. Oh, isn't yeah. she, is she blonde in that What Did You Make Me Watch? All About Steve. Oh, God. I don't like her in that, okay? So that's something. Like, I'm not completely... Well, that's mad. good. It's good to know there is a limit. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go. Let's leave all about Steve forever uh, and talk about uh, a little bit of backstory to this. Um, <laughs> here's my first bit of trivia, which is, is ridiculous trivia, but it's very important to me. Uh, and with apologies to our Chicagoan listeners... <laughs> Chicagoan? Chica- Chicagoan? Chicagoan. Chicagoan listeners. <laughs> no, more apologies, I guess. Uh <laughs> And possibly our American listeners in general. Did you did you know what uh, the L train stands for when it's called the L train? No. Did you? No. All right. Well, Locomotive. they're not. Not so. Not so many apologies because I thought it was like, oh well, it's the L train. There'll be a B train, an M train. It's like the two one five bus here. The L train stands for, or is short for, elevated train. Really? Yeah, because it's on an elevated track. Okay. Okay. 
that's all the trivia I have. Let's talk about the foot. No. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, I didn't realise this. Celebrated its 25th anniversary this year. Did this that's movie? That's not a fact. That's just time. Yeah. What kind of fucking research did, is did this? You read, did you read that Washington Post article that kind of celebrated? Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Oh yeah. There's some good factoids. Oh, I'll just yeah. delete everything I've got. <laughs> is that all you two have got? <laughs> Jump in at any time. Uh, so it's uh, by two writers, Frederick Lebeau and Danny Sullivan. Uh, they had been trying to break into movies for a while, and when you hear how this got made, you'll be surprised that they ever broke into movies, especially with this film. Uh, because the idea uh, for While You Were Sleeping came to them over lunch in the late 80s. Uh, Lebeau was lamenting his disastrous love life. He said, I told Danny, even if I wanted to, I couldn't get a date with a woman who was brain dead. Apparently, the words brain dead and date <laughs> combined Lovely. self a giant light bulb and they bashed out a story treatment called Coma Girl. <laughs> Oh, no. Um, about a woman who bangs her head and spends most of the movie unconscious in hospital. So uh, they took it, uh, of all places. This It was just an idea, uh, the, the infancy of an idea at this point. It wasn't a script. And uh, they pitched it to Meg Ryan's production company, uh, hoping that Meg Ryan would want to star in it. Um, uh, Danny Sullivan, one of the writers, says, her development executive said, firstly, and quite rightly, why would Meg want to do this movie if she's in a fucking coma for most of it? <laughs> uh, and then he also said, also, you guys are fucking creeps. Uh, it's kind of predatory with this guy telling this comatose woman's family that he's engaged to her. And then he said, why don't you flip it around? Let the woman be the one fabricating the story. Then it's no longer predatory. It's funny. So they changed the title to Coma Guy. <laughs> <laughs> that is so lazy. <laughs> but the other per the other person is pretending they're something they're not. They should have called it Coma Chameleon. That's all I got today. Yep. Well, it wasn't in the Washington Post article. <laughs> I think I know why. Um so what do you think <clears throat> do you think it would it would be a much more uncomfortable watch if it was a guy pretending to be a woman's fiance? I do think that you do, but it's but Sleeping Beauty is creepy. I was to gonna me, say, I but... feel like I've actually seen it. Yeah, now, I can't. I wish I'd thought about it harder and longer, but I feel like I've seen it. Like I don't feel like this is a hundred percent original. Well, it's it's almost the movie Overboard, the Goldie mm. Horn Kurt Russell movie, uh, yeah. where she bangs her head, but she's awake, and he goes, "You are my wife. Yeah, uh, you know, the rich, you're not a rich woman. I don't know why you think that." Come and look after my blue collar oh, yeah. family and kids. <laughs> yeah. when, are, when are we doing that one? <laughs> but seriously, you know, there was an era when romantic comedies were like, this is fucking nuts. What are you doing? Well, this is the first week I've had to look up uh, the definition of fraud and sociopath mm. for romantic comedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's what's interesting because if, without Sandra Bullock pulling this off, um, it's it's bananas that <laughs> like, this is a thing and yet she somehow manages to make you be, like you're on her team and it's hilarious mm. and it's all great japes maybe it being set at Christmas helps because that's quite distracting <laughs> in itself um, but you couldn't you cannot do it the other way around well so much is going on in this film so, there is a lot going on and there's a lot of characters that you do sort of forget that for the most part she is lying about being engaged to a man who is currently in a coma. Yeah. Which is it's the bottom line. And, and ingratiating herself with a family who are grieving. Mm. Yeah, but it's also the... It's in standard, theory, in theory, grieving. In they theory. don't seem to do much grieving. But the standard rom-com trope, which I'm a massive, massive rom-com fan, but I, so I do accept it because it is... Um, it's a pleasure that you can just take sort of without questioning it too much. The same way you do like gangster films or whatever, like they are doing a certain thing that doesn't really stand up in the real world. Mm. She loves Peter, even though all she sees is him every day. He gives her this coin, whatever, and gets on a train. And in the normal world, if your friend said, I'm going to marry that guy, be like, are you fucking nuts? Why? <laughs> like, why? What is it about but, him? But you can fantasise. You can sit in your ticket booth on the Chicago elevator train <laughs> and you can <laughs> yeah. fantasise about who you like. But what you don't do is then go, He's in a coma. Right. Yeah. Chance for me to fulfill that dream. Yeah. 
And also, the the writers have the family say it all the time, but they're like, really? You've saved us. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, these writers were paid $10,000 to go away and write this script. Uh, And in the end, it ended up at uh, Disney's uh, Hollywood Pictures. Um, Chris Columbus was set to direct it, uh, with Harrison Ford and Gina Davis likely to take the leads. Um, Then John uh, Turtletaub. Uh, steps in uh, the director now he'd obviously had a big hit with um, Cool Runnings brilliant John Candy movie I fucking love that film that's a good movie I love it I think we'll be doing that movie at some (laughs) point that's a great movie Uh, but he says that typecasting him uh, typecast him as a director of family comedies the only movies and he's he sounds like a very, very funny man. He does, doesn't he? <laughs> I, 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 literally, I've sort of, I, I, I've got a soft spot for National Treasure, the Me National too. Treasure films. Yeah. I, I have a lot of time for that. Even the sequel, Book of Secrets, I think it's quite good. Yeah. But reading this, I was like, I'd love to sit down with this man because this interview is from 2020, celebrating its 25th anniversary. He goes, the only movies I got sent were kids' movies. Everything was a kids' movie. Every script had some kid with a disease and some animal who was his best friend. (laughs) Uh, He said he was desperate to find a real romantic comedy. And there is a connection here to When Harry Met Sally because he talks about Meg Ryan and Nora Ephron and Rob Reiner as the Mount Rushmore of romantic comedies. And that's what he was aspiring to when he made this movie. In terms of the casting... He'd had a meeting with Demi Moore, who'd come very close, uh, Nicole Kidman as well. But he said that with Nicole Kidman, uh, she was way too pretty. It's hard to debutify Nicole Kidman. I guess he's talking about the fact that Lucy in the movie, as was going to be played eventually by Sandra Bullock, she does have to be the girl next door. Yeah. I do think, you know, you try, I mean, because Sandra Bullock is undoubtedly stunning, mm-hmm. but she does walk that line between sort of like. Like a homely time. Right. Yeah. yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't see it. I don't get it. She just looks amazing. <laughs> he said he could debeautify Sandra Bullock in a way he couldn't with some of those other actresses. I don't get it. I don't see it. But yeah. they, they all look great all the time. That's can why the movie starts. But can True. you imagine Nicole Kidman yes. sitting in the L train ticket booth? I can't. Yeah, I can. Can you? She's yeah. too sort of regal, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. yeah. That's it, angular. Yeah. <laughs> I think she's too angular. Anyway, uh, other people considered, obviously, uh, your rom-com queens, Julia Roberts, uh, Meg Ryan, uh, and then Sandra Bullock comes in. And at this point... She wasn't a big household name. Uh, she'd done Speed and Demolition Man, held her own against Sylvester Stallone and Keanu Reeves. Uh, she says, I was an auditioning actor. This was the one thing that came along that I wanted so badly, not as a desperate actor, but just because the story was so sweet. She says, I believe it's because Demi Moore couldn't do it. I got it. So I'm grateful to Demi Moore every single day. <laughs> uh, she also says that she considers this her breakout movie. Okay. This is the movie that launched her career. Uh, in terms of uh, her love interest, uh, Bill Pullman, uh, John Turtletop says, was the right guy for the part. The other guys in the waiting room were James Spader. No. He creeps the fuck out of me. Yes. <laughs> like, I just don't see him as a romantic lead. No. He's a uh, Dylan McDermott was mm-hmm. another one. Uh, and uh, the funny one was uh, they said there was a guy who was unbelievably charming and attractive. It was a brand new Matthew McConaughey. <gasps> he was in the room. But uh, they said he had a Texas accent <clears throat> and none of us could rewrite the movie to take place in Texas or explain why he was in Chicago what? at that point. First of all, he doesn't speak. Oh, no, but sorry, we're talking about <laughs> yeah, Bill Pullman. Bill Pullman. But also, Pullman. It, 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 well, no one in Chicago is like, I'm not actually from Chicago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I think Matthew had the same thoughts, but he, say, he said that he, he told them that he could change his accent and uh, nobody believed him. No, never changed, Matthew. <laughs> but I was trying to think. Can you give a movie where Matthew McConaughey doesn't speak like Matthew McConaughey? No, I can't. He's got that accent in everything. Yeah. He, yeah, okay, fine. Uh, Bill Pullman says, um, uh, I didn't really think romantic comedies is my turf. At that point, I was embarrassed about the preciousness of it, but I read the script and I was like, wow, this is a classic story. Uh, he also uh, wanted to be uh, attractive and sexy and not the goofball tool. Okay. In his words. And obviously he was the guy who Meg Ryan uh, leaves for Tom Hanks in Sleepers in Seattle. <gasps> Apparently. I read that. I haven't seen Sleepers in Seattle, as I've already confirmed. No, I haven't seen it for years. Is he, Chris? Yep. Right. Great. Uh, and beyond that, a little note from Peter Gallagher, who uh, plays uh, Peter. 
he says that for a period of time, I seemed to fit the mould of the yuppie asshole very, very well. They called me Peter Callahan for God's sake. I think they were thinking of me. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, pretty much all the research uh, in terms of the backstory. Chris, you read the same article. Anything you'd like to add? No, no, you, you read pretty much all of it out. Um, I've got, <laughs> <laughs> I have got a quote from Peter Gallagher from elsewhere, um, who I guess they were all doing the rounds, doing interviews this year with the anniversary. And he said, um, what I remember about the movie is that we had a script that we all loved and then we got to Chicago and they changed it completely. They just changed a lot and they made everything sort of, in our eyes, less good. Yeah. Wow. So I'll get on to that. I've got some more quotes oh, from him. All right, later all right on. Mike, because I've got the same quotes. Sure. But it's, it's fine, you know. Just it's a race kind of thing. It's just my movie to go through, so, you know, it's fine. So let's talk about the film. Yeah. Uh, it opens uh, with uh, the biggest single woman problem in the world. How the fuck do you get a Christmas tree home uh, <laughs> when you don't have a man to help you with it up the stairs? And apparently the answer is. Uh, to create some very ill-advised, like temporary winch situation <laughs> yeah. that defines accident waiting to happen. Uh, we also, at this point, uh, get to meet Joe Junior. Um, He's a goomba. So uh, this is this is a New Jersey stereotypical guy, isn't it? I never watched Jersey Shore. Yes, but this is a character that I, I was a little bit. Unsure about what he represented, but he he's a very familiar trope in America. Yeah, I think you might know. I think I've told you I'm a fan of Jersey Shore. Right. I was when it first started, and he's very much cut from that cloth. Which possibly explains a lot of the things that aren't explained, like where he goes, it's like when you see your first Trans Am, and you're like... I have no idea what that means. It's a car. It's what the bandit drives. It's a muscle car. Mm. Oh, yep. okay. In Smokey and the Bandit. I know. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, so uh, what did you think of Joe Jr.? I love Joe Jr., uh, much needed comic relief. Yeah, a very unbelievable caricature. But this film, I guess, no, I probably thought that at the time and then watched Jersey Shore and realised, oh, no, those those guys are real. Um, but no, I think he's great fun. John Turtle talks about how every person in this movie, no matter how small their role was, was given good stuff to do. Okay. Including Joe Jr. Um, I'll introduce my one question now, which I really feel is underdeveloped and I don't think is a New Jersey guy thing. Where he has a shoe fetish. He does. Mm. Yeah, which I like. Do you? Yeah, because you don't see that coming. But it's not built on. It's it's almost like they went get in the cupboard and then when she opens the door, he's improvised putting on her shoes and you're like, but why? Yeah. And then there's this, what, there's a a dialogue payoff later when he's crying and she says, I'll let you try on some of my shoes. (laughs) That's quite sweet. Yeah. Um, Sandra Bullock uh, wears more knitwear than I've ever seen anyone wear. She does. It's a cold city. It is a cold city. And it, but also, you haven't mentioned her. Her parents are dead. Um, and a little link to Interstellar here. She's wearing her dad's coat. Yeah, of course she is. Oh, yes. So that's one of the reasons her, her clothing is... So shit. Yeah. Big. Um, uh, I don't imagine you... I don't know if you found this quote, but Elle magazine dubbed it one of the only movies to devote two full hours to creating a visual mood board for the concept of staying in bed all day. <laughs> that's good. That's right. Uh, so she works at uh, the L train uh, in the tipic- ticket booth. Uh, she says of the character, I just wanted her to be a normal human being. Uh, there wasn't anything flashy about her. Yes. So the person who would love her would be someone who didn't need her to be that way either. She's That's supposed nice. to be very lonely, but she has great friends at work who she gets on with and hangs out with. Yeah. And she's got these Italian-Americans who are like family to they her. Are, yeah. And her boss is like a dad to her. I mean, she doesn't feel as lonely as she could, as she could. Yeah, yeah as this, that's fair. this film keeps telling us that she's lonely, and I what mean, I'm seeing is someone that's got quite a full life. Yeah, I mean, she gets a, it's a big tick for breaking the rom com stereotype. She doesn't work in food, she doesn't work in fashion, she doesn't work in PR, she hasn't got an exciting white collar job. She has got a low paid job, but she then it, it sort of can't help itself later on, where it turns out she sort of quit school because her dad was dying, and that's how she ends up working. But the mm. L train people, it's like bit that's judgy. a shame. You can't. Why can't you just be a working class character? Yeah, like, bit judgy. Yeah. Also, the dad dying thing is introduced quite late. I mean, you you know that he's died because yes. they wouldn't bother with that thing at the start. But then they don't go. She doesn't actually say. And then my dad died till about half an hour into the movie. Yeah. Also, she does say later. She goes like her big thing is I just don't have anyone to make me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> or to laugh with or something like that. And you're like. 
I've seen you laugh six <laughs> times in this movie. <laughs> Joe Junior's hilarious. <laughs> and then later on, when she's with Bill Pullman, she's laughing her ass off, but he's not being that funny. But you're supposed to be like, that's all you ever wanted. <laughs> so she falls in love with uh, Peter Gallagher's character, as we said, called Peter Callahan, this yuppie guy uh, who she just decides is her prince charming. And she's like, I'm going to marry this guy. And she sees him fall on the tracks on Christmas Day, sort of inexplicably. Like she goes, oh, I should have said that's a nice coat. And then some hoodlums on the platform are like, hey, nice coat. <laughs> and you're like, what's this? The fucking coat is like a plot point here. This coat is like causing a lot. And then they sort of, they, I mean, you know, he's clearly not a fighter, but he's quite athletic. They kind of flick his scarf. They, they sort of go, <laughs> yeah. look, at you, look at you, you scarf, scarf boy. And he falls on the track. And then we get a stunt that I was genuinely interested to find out how they did. The role when she rolls him yeah. out of the way of the train. Amazing. It's genuinely them on the tracks. It's Sandra Bullock and Peter Gallagher uh, on the tracks. And um, I, this is just interesting to me, but I'm going to tell you anyway. They found a way... Uh, to keep part of the track electric so they could power a train, but turn off the bit where <gasps> Sandra Bullock was leaning. And John Toyotop says, safety was a huge thing because if you stepped in the wrong place, you'd explode. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, and if Sandra Bullock exploded, I'd be in a tremendous amount of trouble and the movie would have been hard to finish. <laughs> So they shut down some of the tracks so Sandra Bullock wouldn't explode. Uh, she says, we were laying on the tracks and I was really concerned about it because if it becomes active accidentally while we're shooting it, I'll explode. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, they kept the train powered and they just shot it in reverse. So the train's going backwards oh. and then they roll onto uh, where the train had just been as oh, opposed to out of the way. Kind of clever. Yeah, I like that. Kind of clever. Uh, so uh, we get to the hospital and uh, we get the first hilarious of many hilarious misunderstandings. But uh, this is interesting that I'd misremembered this because it's kind of the nurse's fault a yeah. bit because Sandy says, she's Sandy to me, <laughs> I was going to marry him because she's mad and yeah. she's like, as if you were, but whatever. Um, and the nurse overhears it and the nurse says, oh, but that's his fiance." And so it's a misunderstanding, like you say. My memory of the film is that it was much more, she just I goes for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but not in a dark way, in a really lovely Sandra Bullock way. She's like, he's my fiance," And then it's fine. But mm. it, it, she, you sort of, she's put, it puts blame on the nurse a bit, which I'd forgotten. Mm. And I don't she, think you need a, it. As, as the film progresses, she becomes an accessory to fraud. Yeah. <laughs> Lucy is perpetrating the fraud, but the nurse is an accessory. But it's just, it's one of many... Many occurrences in this film when someone can quite easily go, no, sorry, you've misunderstood. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, no, I was just talking to myself. Yeah. Uh, but obviously we're in a romantic comedy, but it does layer on these mistakes oh, that no. just keep I started happening. putting an M next to anything I'd written down that was a misunderstanding and I gave up after about <laughs> 10. <laughs> but this is the big one. So everyone thinks she's her fia his fiance, and, and the family arrives and... We get uh, Peter Gallagher in a coma. Uh, interestingly, uh, he talks about the fact that he was genuinely asleep uh, for all those scenes. Uh, he worked it out that you cannot look like you're in a coma and be awake because your eyes twitch and like you move slightly and you're breathing. So he'd fall asleep in those scenes. Uh, and he says, uh, uh, Martin Scorsese saw the film and said, boy, Gallagher does a coma well. Okay. Do I don't believe a word of that. You don't believe he was asleep? <laughs> no, I don't. It's bright light. He's in the middle of a film set. People are talking at volume next to him repeatedly. No, I don't believe it. Unless he was under the influence of something to help him drift off. I think he stayed up late the night before. No, I don't, I'm not buying it. Oh, Sorry. No. Oh, all right. Okay. In a film based on lies, <laughs> you're adding another lie. Stop repeating things off the internet. <laughs> uh, uh, and then the family turn up. Now, tell me, what do you think of this family? Because there's some great actors uh, in there. You've got Jack Warden, who plays Saul, Glynis Johns uh, from Mary Poppins, uh, Peter Boyle. Love them. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Glynis Johns, and I really like Jack Warden as well. So, yeah, it's nice, fun to see those faces. Um, and they do feel like, seem like a lovely family that you would want to hang out with. You do, Yeah, yeah. And the Godfather, not so lovely, because uh, he overhears Sandra Bullock going, hey, this is, all, this is fucking bullshit. 
I I have created a monster here. Yeah. Talking to Coma Guy, saying all this, and Saul hears her and goes, "Hey, <laughs> it's an idea. Just don't tell the family." Yeah. Uh, and you're like, "Why? Why? Why not tell them?" And apparently, and it doesn't come across well in the film. I think in that brief moment where, like. Like, does, does the grandma have a heart She's condition? She's got a heart condition mm. and there's some misunderstanding over whether who Sandra Bullock is and it looks like the truth will out mm. and then grandma's heart starts to go nuts and so someone's like, yeah, grandma, our pills. And then Saul's like, basically says to Sandra Bullock, if you tell him the truth, you will kill grandma because her heart won't be able to take it. Right. Because, because they've got you, they've got Peter back, which is not true, but it, it does for the narrative. Yeah, I'm, you see, I'm just convinced Saul's a bit of a dick. Yeah, you could, you could read I, it like that. Only because, not only does he sort of go, yeah, don't tell them now. He then goes, don't tell them later. And then when she goes, could you actually tell them now? It's gone too far. He goes, got you back. I'll go tell them. <laughs> yeah. She goes, have you told them? Yeah, he goes, yeah, no, I didn't tell them. He went for a wee. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I've welched on the, uh, the agreement that I would at any point tell them. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, she becomes part of the family. They're like, we miss Christmas, so we're having a late Christmas dinner. Yep. Did you, the bit, I'd forgotten this bit, she's like, I won't go to Christmas dinner because it's too much and I'm telling a lie. And she's with her cat and she's got a packet of Oreos and she puts some milk in the cat's bowl mm. and then dips the biscuit in the cat bowl. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? That made me feel so sick. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. It's so distasteful. It's disgusting. <laughs> it yep. is disgusting. Oh, but you, again. You're going to be upset to hear that was Sandra's idea. Oh, God. It was uh, Sandra's idea. Uh, Turtle Tob says, I, I wanted to give them room to be creative. It was Sandra's idea to have Lucy dip an Oreo in her cat's milk at the dinner table. Vile. She's a genius. It's vile. His words... Uh, her words on the subject are, Lord knows what comes out of my head. I'm highly allergic to cats, so all my cat work is when I'm heavily medicated. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a theory that at this point, she's sort of, because Lucy isn't an idiot. Like, she's no. not. She's a smart cookie. Uh-huh. And uh, this whole idea that she thinks he's Mr. Right, or like, I'm going to perpetuate this idea. The family don't know where she lives. She never has to go back to the hospital. She could legit bow out at this point and just disappear. Yes. She doesn't have to go, like, the, uh, Granny's heart isn't going to, uh, like, do one if she doesn't go to dinner. It'll just be like, I didn't go, and, and that'll be the end of it. Mm. My theory is, at this point, you have seen her eat an Oreo out of cat's milk and have a hot dog for breakfast twice. <laughs> I think... You've also heard that she would go all the way to Europe just to get a stamp in her passport. This right. is what I'm talking about. When Harry Met Sally started that, so you take an hour and a half to order a sandwich is not a personality. Carrying your passport round is not a personality. But in rom-coms it is. My argument is that the only reason she goes to this dinner and perpetuates this lie with the family oh, is to eat hungry. decent food. <laughs> it, it, it really is. It's, it's, it, it's so she gets her five a day because she cannot do it on her own. Hot dogs and Oreos and cat's milk are not a way to live. No. When I heard the passport thing, though, I did look it up. And a sociopath is someone who lacks a sense of moral responsibility or social conscience. I think she's teetering on that line of moral responsibility no, when, it to, when it comes to when it comes to ingratiating it herself with a family who are grieving over the, the near death of their I suppose son. I'm not looking at the consequences mm-hmm. or caring or having an empathy mm-hmm. for that family. And fraud is intentional deception to secure unfair or unlawful gain or to provi- deprive a victim of a legal right. So I don't think she's in fraud territory until she uh, turns up at the wedding. <laughs> when she's getting married, then we're, then we're, then we're edging into actual fraud. Right. But, does, but knowing all that... Does it reduce your enjoyment of this film? Because I, I will say at this stage, I am very much on board with this movie. Yeah, it's no, that isn't. I'm I'm overanalyzing it for the purposes of a podcast. Mm. What it does do is make me feel quite anxious and on edge in a way that isn't uh, altogether comfortable. That's that's interesting because I know people that find this film stressful because mm. anything based on a misunderstanding is stressful mm. because it piles up and piles up and it can mm. all. It's a house of cards and it can all be undone. And some people enjoy that and some people don't. Mm. And I would have you pegged as someone that didn't like that. I feel like, like I'm watching a thriller. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm watching Seven. Oh, well, um, how did you feel then when the answer phone message comes in from his actual supposed fiance, the woman he's proposed to, Ashley, 
we find out that uh, she's coming back into town and she's decided to say yes. And we also get to learn that Peter might actually not be Prince Charming and be a bit of a dick. Uh, and that is because his answer phone message, he uses his surname and he goes... This is Callahan. Leave a message. <laughs> Ciao. I thought you were going to say it's because Sandra gets given his wallet and he's got photographs of himself oh in God. his wallet. And 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 next to the arts machine, the photo is of him on a sailboat Who on his does own. That? Well, Peter, it's 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 setting up the character as this oh, egotistical okay. narcissist. Okay. And so I, it's really funny. Like I'd forgotten his personality and thought, why has he got a picture of himself? <laughs> and then I was like, oh yeah, of course, he's right. that guy. Okay. Ice white shoes, ice white socks, jumper over the shoulder. <laughs> it's in tennis attire. And then there's one of him skiing as well, I believe. It's just the most weird thing. And the guy who plays in Peter Gallagher, uh, he was a bit upset that all these developments came about from rewrites of the script. And I think he's kind of got a point because like, Peter doesn't need to be a bad guy. But apparently in the writer's room, uh, he was like, why are you spending so much energy trying to make him bad? <clears throat> it's just a love story about my brother and Sandra Bullock, and so he doesn't have to be a super jerk. You know, I could just be a guy who happens to be on the way to his work, uh, you know. And he was told uh, by the writers he's got to be a piece of shit. No, it's just a mistake, isn't it? Because there's no jeopardy. Like, there's nothing to Peter Gallagher, Peter Callahan. At all. And then what there is, is like, oh, he seems like a bit of a dick. So the minute Bill Pullman arrives, it's like, well, this is over, obviously. But then maybe that's the point, because in a rom-com, do you really want to be unsure as to who that who's going to get together? Not really. You're just watching that journey. So the minute twinkly-eyed Bill Pullman arrives, uh, it's game over. Well, what, what does he do for a living? Oh, my God, he makes furniture. <laughs> so he uses his well, hands. He doesn't make furniture. He takes furniture from dead people's homes. No, no, but he wants no. to, his, he that's wants his family to business. make furniture. Yeah, he, yeah, he wants to make furniture, so, but so he does still go into the home, homes of the recently dead and go. Yeah, I love that. This yeah. this carpentry though, this making of furniture, yeah. we had it recently, didn't we? In Magic yeah. Mike. Yeah. Um, I believe I believe Sex and the City. Yes. Is it Aiden? He's a he's a carpenter. He's good with his hands. Uh-huh. Why do women love this shit? I just love I love coming up with jobs for people in rom coms. It's one of my favourite things to but do. But this seems in a to be script. a recurring thing of course, that women go, right, because, Oh, he makes yeah. things. So he makes things, so he's physically strong because that's a quite a demanding job. Mm. But he's also <laughs> attention to detail, hands, I'm gonna say it, fingers, right? And he's sensitive, he's got an artistic eye, he's making a little bit of money, but not too much money. Probably he's outside quite a lot in a nice jumper, chopping down a fucking tree. Tick tick. <laughs> we know how you feel about the environment. <laughs> <laughs> Don't start on not... that because that's bad news for me. I do care about the environment. <laughs> okay. Enough. <laughs> <laughs> Just enough. Just enough to get it by. It's so it's it's like rustic. It's old fashioned. I think it's a Jesus thing. I think they all want to bone Jesus. Oh really? That's yeah. interesting. What? He's oh. Was G- Jesus wasn't a carpenter. His dad was a carpenter. Jesus just got nailed to a bit of carpentry. He's a carpenter. Was he was a it? carpenter yeah, yeah. as well? I thought he didn't really do much. Yeah. Joseph. He didn't know he was Jesus till he was in his 30s. He wasn't uh, just yeah, sitting just, down. I think he was. I think he was just sitting down. People were bringing him yeah. stuff and he was having chats, fireside chats. I, I, I don't know that Jesus wants to be... I, I, I don't know that he's... he's not, it's a Bill Hicks joke, but do you think when Jesus comes back, he's going to want to see a fucking crucifix? <laughs> yeah. But would you, for all your love of carpentry, yeah. lose your shit over that chair no. in the back of that van as much as Sandra Bullock does because they could have picked a better chair. It is the most plain chair in the world. It's just a, it's just a brown wooden chair. And she's like, you, you made this. She sort of slides it. into it. She's like, oh, it's beautiful. And he goes, it's, and they even, it's such a weird bit. They even go, yeah, he goes, yeah, it's a rocking chair. Rock it then. It doesn't even rock. She doesn't even rock it backwards and forwards. The reason it's carpentry is because it's the, the right mix of practical but sensitive. And that's all it is. I also think I, if you're making a Christmas movie, which this is kind of, the greatest Christmas movie, in my opinion, is, is It's a Wonderful Life. And they've literally transplanted the relationships in that family yes. with uh, the brother going off to do something. And so the younger brother having to stick around and do the family business, which he doesn't want to. And he's stuck his whole life in this town doing this thing he doesn't want to do. And I feel like you've got to be a bit more creative than taking it from another Christmas classic. Yeah, and the thing is, when Bill Pullman goes to his dad, this big scene, because Sandra's like giving him a bit of a talking to, and he's like, you've got to tell your dad. And his dad's like, yeah, sure, no problem. Yeah, I, like, I quite <laughs> like that. Like, like, yeah, like... I've been waiting. Yeah. I could have sold the business <laughs> to my <laughs> uncle. <laughs> yeah. so absolutely no consequence. I, and there are donuts, so <laughs> double whammy. <laughs> uh, we'll talk more about Bill, Bill Pullman uh, after this break. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Uh, so I can only imagine the other thing you love about Bill Pullman is, uh, you know, he's a resourceful chap. Uh, he, initially, I thought he wears too much double denim. Uh, but as it turns out, he's got a reversible jacket. He does. <laughs> which is <laughs> such a nice little character trait that he's got a reversible jacket uh, that is khaki on one side and uh, denim uh, on the other. And uh, he kept the jacket and still wears the jacket Does he? in real life. I'm into that. I think you'll love Bill Pullman more after this, apart from the fact he has a wife. Uh, he goes, my wife always says, is that the jacket from while you were sleeping? I still have it. <laughs> it's reversible. <laughs> <laughs> is that it? Den- denim on one side, khaki on the other. I wear it mostly with khaki. It's a little bulky, but you can put a lot of layers on with it. And I just love that it's holding up. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to tell you why I like him so much in this film. I'm just going to get this out of the way. Um, when he's trying to do the right thing and not have sex with his sister-in-law <laughs> and how deeply conflicted he is, I need to get the fan out. That is very attractive. It's and a, I figured it out. Does, this, I, does this mean you fancy Ryan Giggs? No. <laughs> I it, just, it, it was eight years, that film. Yeah. I just like it when they struggle. <laughs> I just like, I like oh, to see him. that's creepy. I'm sorry, but I like to see a conflicted man. And he does seem conflicted. And he's like, I really want to do the right thing, but I can't, but I will. And it's a bit weird when hot. he's put on the spot, though, to, to get it on with her under the mistletoe that's in front so of the whole family. Weird. Who says? <laughs> they're like, kiss her, you dummy. And it's like, that's your sister-in-law. <laughs> well, we Who says that? That's such a weird family trait. He's a smart cookie, though, in the movie as well, because he is the one who sort of goes, I'm not sure about this relationship. Yeah. Uh, admittedly, though, that comes from another hilarious misunderstanding because he hears Joe Jr. and Sandra on the stairs and he yep. sees Aline and he believes that they are yeah. together. But this scene is important because he follows Sandra to her New Year's Eve party. Mm. He's not invited in. Mm. She's kind of like, I don't want to talk about this. He thinks she's pregnant. He walks in. He does the lean thing to her, which is coming on pretty strong for someone who is ostensibly your sister-in-law. Mm. And I think now on this viewing, I think that scene is there to show that he's a bit bonkers as well as she is. Like he's quite intense. And to do that to someone and just to follow them around and moping, going on about Joe Jr. and outing her as pregnant in front of this room full of people, mm. is he a little bit in the nicest possible rom-com terms as unhinged as she is? And that's why they're right for each other. Maybe. That's- that's a really good point. I mean, it's another ridiculous moment in this movie because when she goes, 
he goes, you, you, you can't, the baby. <laughs> that that She storms out of the party and goes, you've ruined my New Year's Eve. Yeah, that's so and you're like, at what point do you not go, what are you talking about? Yeah. Oh, no, no, shut up, don't be stupid. I'm not pregnant. Should we have a drink? Yeah, that cut, that cut doesn't really work where it cuts to him from him saying it to her storming up the street. Yeah. Doesn't but then sense. it doesn't matter because then is it that that scene when they slip on the eye? Oh, I hate that. that. I think that's all. I know. I really get on my nerves. That does. Get on my nerves, but it is sweet. Yeah, Bill Pullman. Like I say, he say, he talks about that. He says that's the classic scene. That's the scene that everyone talks about. I don't like, care what Bill Pullman says. I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> Why do you think it's ridiculous? Because it looks. He says they were genuine. It looks, false. So, contri- it looks so contrived. Yes, like in Rocky when he's taking Adrian for the ice skate. That's sweet and that's real. I can believe that's happening. But here I'm like, no, you guys are just standing there for too long so you can fall into each other's <laughs> arms. And, it... and she's laughing so much mm. because remember, all she wants is someone to make her laugh. Mm. Yeah. If she falls and cracks her head open on that ice, she's probably dead. I agree dead. with you. She's I find dead. walking on funny. ice extremely stressful. It's not a funny yeah. situation. No. Yeah. And then she's in a coma and Bill Pullman's claiming that he's we? her fiance. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the sequel. Now, this is the big moment. Peter wakes up. <laughs> yeah, he does. Uh, uh, and, and he's into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, 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 and then he, he obviously can't remember Lucy because she's not his fiance and he's never met her. Uh, but he is informed uh, by a doctor without any kind of tests or science that he has amnesia. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, <laughs> that is why he can't remember her. Uh, and uh, he makes uh, the ad lib. Uh, the actor Peter Gallagher makes the ad lib about the Jello, um, where he goes, "Do I like Jello?" And as you guys know, that's American for jelly. Oh yeah, recently great came up quiz. On the pod. Yeah. Great quiz. Um, uh, we get a bit more uh, of Peter being a dick here because there's this really weird story that I struggle to make head or tail of about these squirrels. Mm. The squirrel anecdote, where he's been told uh, called a hero for saving these squirrels, mm-hmm. and he admits. Uh, to his brother, he was like, I wasn't a hero. I actually was throwing rocks at the nest of the squirrels and I knocked them out and then I looked after them. The most depressing thing about that horrible, horrible story is the writer, Danny Sullivan, says uh, there are two things. First, the pencil in the pocket incident that caused Peter to lose Ooh. a testicle actually happened to a friend of mine. Ooh. So he has a friend who lost a testicle. Uh, and then there was the squirrel nest in the woods behind our house growing up that my brother and I threw rocks at and knocked down. Somehow they put my brother's picture in the paper as a hero taking care of these squirrels that ended up dying. He's never been happy I put that story in the movie. No, you wouldn't, would you? Learning that spoiled the movie for me. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, Why? I know. They're only squirrels. They, I'm, yeah. they are, I, I, if I have to die on this hill, then fine. They're only fucking squirrels. There's loads of them. But they're squirrels. So what? All right. <laughs> Um, what do we make of Peter when he wakes up? He's a bit wide-eyed and a bit sort of like, what? what? I think, um, oh, who is it? Is it Saul that says to him, Sandra's going to come and see you in a minute and she's going to tell you something and you should just go with it because you've given you have been given a chance to like, do things right. You're a putz. You're putz. A putz. He's a putz. I think that describes him quite well. Yeah, but the way that her character is summed up, he's like, she does this, she does this, all cutesy things. And he says, she's just so likeable. And I thought, oh, that burns. Imagine being described <laughs> as likeable. I think, no. Death or glory, I think. <laughs> I just think to be described as likeable is being described as nothing. I have been with this movie until this point. This is the part of the movie that it starts to unravel a little bit for me. I was quite enjoying it. And then the, uh, you're just sort of waiting for it to sort itself out. Bill Pullman buys a, a snow globe <gasps> of Florence. Yeah. <laughs> which is a callback to the globe from the beginning that the dad gives to the mum, or the mum gives to the dad. Yeah, we know. It's beautiful. Yeah, Yeah, it's beautiful. (laughs) And and also the fact she wants to go to Florence as well. Yeah. That big bit. And I think it's him saying, it's the films I was saying, you could be with my rich brother, but I'm a humble carpenter, (laughs) and all I can do is get you a snow globe, but I really love you, so... Yeah, but then she literally goes... Give me a reason not to marry Peter. Do it. And he goes, no, I can't. Because well, he's trying to be a good brother. In a really casual way. Like, in a really slight, no? Like, yeah. There's no sort of... I just find that moment very much like, no, go ahead. <laughs> Do your thing. <laughs> Don't care. Enjoy the snow globe. I'm out of here. <laughs> 
going to reverse my jacket on the street. Going for some double denim. No, khaki. No denim. That's the fun of the jacket. Um, and then we get the wedding where she turns up wearing the most bewildering. What, what, it, it's, is she wearing white tights? She is. Right. And child shoes, as we've said. I don't get the dress. I was so disappointed. And it, I've seen this, I think, three times now, maybe four times. I'm always disappointed when she's got the dress on and I realise that's the wedding dress. Because <laughs> a wedding dress scene in a rom-com is a big scene. It's a very important moment. And I thought maybe it was just like a nighty or something from a dressing up box, maybe. And then someone says, oh, is that the dress? And I was like, oh, don't let that be the dress. Yeah. But it is. I, I, you mentioned it at the start. It, it, it genuinely is the charm of like Bill Pullman and Sandra Bullock that has got us this far because a lot of the stuff... And he's got small eyes and yet it's when he narrows... It's a very physical thing for me with Bill Pullman. Mm. He's like narrows his eyes. He's like, I just can't have sex with you. And it, that's amazing because he's got such tiny eyes anyway that when he narrows them like that, they basically disappear. And I'm, yet... I'm having a bit of a Bill Pullman revival at the moment because for me... Like, and this is why it's always weird. It's weird when you see an actor in a certain thing at a certain age that he is that person for you. Yeah. And forevermore, Bill Pullman has been Lone Star from Spaceballs. Oh yeah. For me, but my resurgence. Have you watched The Sinner? No. Oh, he's, like he's actually kind of mind blowing in it. He's okay. like really, really good. You should watch that. I will. He's old now though. That's okay. Okay. You all right there? I think so. Yeah. I haven't actually seen his face, so I don't know. <laughs> um, and then, oh, then Ashley... How old is he now? Uh, uh, 84. <laughs> uh, then Ashley uh, turns up, uh, the other woman he proposed to, and uh, she has a great line. Uh, she goes, Go ahead and marry her, you one bald bastard. <laughs> Beautiful alliteration. <laughs> uh, and then obviously that doesn't happen, and uh, Sandy and Bill get together. The end. The end. Mm. Lovely job. Yep. You got through it. Yeah, I did. So, should we do the bits? Yes. All right. Uh, uh, well, actually, I, I will do one more thing. The aftermath of this was um, that it made a shit ton of money, which you mentioned at the start. A shit ton of money. Uh, John Turtle says, we opened right before French Kiss with Meg Ryan and forget Paris Billy Crystal, but we did great. I thought, wow, I'm not as big a fraud as I thought. Oh, that's nice. But why isn't it considered a Christmas movie then? That's a really good it question. It is by me. But it's not by most people. Okay. But it is by me. He, he said, is this like squirrels again? <laughs> <laughs> no. My word is law. Squirrels don't matter. This is a Christmas movie. I'd forgotten it was a Christmas movie. And I don't know what that is. Because John Turtletub was saying he gets really upset that it doesn't air every year at Christmas like Jingle All the Way and the Santa Claus 3 are the examples he used. Strange. <laughs> um, and he said it really bugs him. And I don't really know what the answer is that it's not become canon well maybe because it starts on Christmas Day it's the build up is not to Christmas oh that's actually that's a really good point because most Christmas movies you're building up towards yeah. that, the excitement of Christmas Day and this it's more after Christmas yeah which is why we're doing it here on the that's show. correct <laughs> that's why, perfect that's why it's fallen where it has that's right in our clinically thought through schedule alright then let's do the bits uh, best scene Christopher I like the moment when he wakes from the coma I like the way it's shot, the way we're looking around the room. I like the way the family all act and, and the amnesia payoff, I think, is really funny. So that is my favourite scene. The bit where the camera tracks past mm. Sandra Bullock yeah. and then comes back onto it. It's her. really funny. Yeah, it's good. Victoria? So it's at once frustrating and creepy, but also it's the best thing about it because it's like the most rom-com thing about it. When um, Bill Pullman goes to the L train kiosk and puts the wedding ring, the oh. engagement ring, through the kiosk to Sandy and she's like, oh my gosh. And then the whole family pop up, which is awful really, because that's a private moment. <laughs> um, and then they get married and there's a bit of voiceover at the end, which I don't agree with, but just rom-com over the topness where the L train car is their wedding car. Mm. And that's cute. And I like that. Yeah, I forgot actually, although I haven't got it as my bit. It, I, <laughs> I was watching it. And um, the person I was watching it with, when I uh, when it's the speech she gives at the wedding where she sort of goes, I'm so sorry, I was never his fiancée, and Bill Pullman goes, why didn't you just say something? Yes. I started crying. Really? And, yeah. <laughs> she, she turned to me and went, you're not fucking crying, are you? <laughs> you're not fucking crying, are you? And I was like, to be shamed for crying at a movie that you... I was like, 
You're meant to cry. <laughs> this entire scene has been designed to make people cry. In this instance, me. And she was like, fucking hell. <laughs> I'm going out. And just like, I was really ashamed. But my, my best scene uh, is, um, I'm going to play a little clip from it because I just think it's so well written and it's just so fun and it's so insane. Is uh, the family dinner that they all have together, which is this bit. Pussy, mm. you think you can find me a nice girl for Jack? Oh, Mom, come on. Well, I, 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 I really don't know Jack's type, so I'm not one to... Um... I like blondes, chubby ones. <laughs> Alan Ladd wasn't tall. Marshall Dillon was six foot five. Mm. Well, we all know who Lucy's type is. Mm. His mashed potatoes are so creamy. <laughs> you like brunettes. I could never make a good pot roast. You need good beef. Argentina has great beef. Beef and Nazis. <laughs> John Wayne was tall. Dustin Hoffman was 5'6". Would you want to see Dustin Hoffman save the Alamo? His mashed potatoes are so creamy. Spain has good beef. Mary mashed them. Um... Cesar Romero was tall. Cesar Romero was not Spanish. I didn't say Cesar <laughs> Romero was Spanish. Well, what did you say? I said Cesar Romero was tall. Oh, I love that scene. <laughs> so I thought I'd play all of it. Uh, most valuable whatever, Victoria. Sandra Bullock. Otherwise, this whole thing is too crazy <laughs> and and the whole thing falls down. There's, think of what you said about the when it was uh, a woman in a coma. What a bad idea. The bit where she looks under his Peter's hospital gown to see if he does have one testicle or not. Imagine <laughs> that the other way around. But also, it's still very creepy now, but Sandra pulls it off. Ooh, uh, um, sorry. <laughs> That's not what Jeez, I'm saying. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sandra makes that scene work. So yeah. Sandra doesn't look under his blanket to see if he's got one testicle, though. It's the mum. Is it not Sandra Bullock? No, that would be too much. Even with this way the genders have fallen. No, it's definitely, it's definitely the mum. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry. That would be... That would be unacceptable. Let me just think of another example. No, I can't be bothered. Um, Sandra Bullock is the best thing in this film <laughs> by a country mile. Um, without her, it would be uh, very difficult to fathom. Yeah, I'd agree. Chris? You know how they say the city was like another character in the film? Yeah. I hate that, so I'm not picking Chicago. <laughs> Good. I am going to go with Peter Gallagher's eyebrows. <laughs> they do a lot of work in this film and it's phenomenal they're stunning eyebrows uh, I'm going with Victoria kind of I don't think you can actually separate them out I mean I do love Sandra Bullock but I think it's it's the relationship of her and Bill Pullman this movie could have genuinely been insufferable <laughs> I, I, I do think like their, their performances stop this being a roll your eyes at another contrived plot device to keep the ruse going kind of film uh, so I'm having their relationship together as my MVW. And finally, change. Chris? I found this tricky because there's so many things that you could change in this film and you probably should change in this film. I find it hard to pick one, so I'll probably go with what Peter Gallagher said about his, his character being such a caricature when actually all he had to do was be a successful businessman who's not ready to get married, and that's enough. He, didn't, he doesn't need to be slightly villainous and, and stupid and all this kind of thing. He could be a good bloke. Um, he's just not the one for her. So mm. I think that would ground the film in a little more reality. Maybe it needs. Victoria. Um, make the Callahan family all not quite old. So there's a teenage girl who's the sister's role for Sandra, but the rest of them are older people. And that is not as much fun as it could be. So a few more, you know, Bill Pullman's in there, but his story's on such a different track. The the family, you could have some set pieces with family members, cousins, whoever, of different ages. And so the different age brings a different stress to Sandra's lie in the set piece. Mm. That's it. Yeah, I, I think uh, mine would be, um, I think Peter should wake up and find out that Bill Pullman is in love with Sandra but he's so desperate to be a better person, he still pursues the idea of marrying Sandra Bullock. He's like, well, she's my fiance, so I'm going to carry on. And there's a bit of conflict between mm. the brothers at yeah. that point because I just find that the whole end is a bit wishy-washy. They're like, get on with it. But if yeah. he's like, no. Yeah, the fact that they get married in a hospital, it's like they should, they should go home and then you've got super rich Peter, mm. honest carpenter Bill Pullman, mm. and then she can choose if she wants this life of luxury or someone who's good with their hands. It, it did feel like they were trying to rush that ending to the point that he's getting married while on a drip. 
Yes. <laughs> what? No one questions that. And also, that. when you, when you realise he's moneyed and you see Ashley, and it's like, I want to see a big New York wedding, and I want to see homespun Sandra out of place in this mm. like glitzy ritzy wedding. I don't oh, want yeah. to see a hospital chapel. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be good. Mm. And also, there's that really weird curveball where. Uh, Ashley walks in at the end and when he's proposed to oh yeah and she's married and it's, she's married and he's like yeah I proposed to a married woman and you're like why <laughs> just an odd thing to do yeah. doesn't make you a dick makes you a bit weird and why is Ashley saying she's, big, she's a bigamist I don't understand yeah uh, right then uh, that's enough of while you were sleeping Um, it is time for the verdict you want answers I think I'm entitled you want answers I want the truth Victoria these were your films you get to decide who goes first um Chris, please go first. You know what? This may talking about thinking about when Harry met Sally. It made me think of Scream that we did in October and the way that reinvigorated horror. I think this did the same for romantic comedies because I was thinking about the eighties and romantic comedies. You had the Mermaid one, mm-hmm. you had a baseball one, you had the cross dressing one, you had the one with the bloke with the big nose. They were all high concept movies, or you got, or they were teen comedies. The only one I could think of that was in this film's league was Moonstruck. And then this one hit and it changed. Romantic comedies became grown up again. Mm. And so I think that's a huge legacy that film's got. And I like the way it focused on the female perspective in a way that those other films didn't really. Um, uh, While you were sleeping, I don't think that got the memo about grounding romantic comedies in reality. It does the opposite. Um, And I think audiences will accept one misunderstanding or coincidence, maybe two. But they're about... 200 in this film and so also the fact it's about a sociopath attempting <laughs> fraud um i can't win i've got to go with when harry, when harry met sally when harry met sally when harry met sally won, oh, okay what about you so i'm i'm just a bit surprised about the way i've gone this week uh like one of these is a brilliant analysis of love and friendship between mm-hmm. men and women written by one of the great romance screenwriters oh, uh, whose leads i didn't really warm to in terms of the relationship i think they're great actors but i just found there to be something cold and clinical about the romance in when harry met sally then on the other hand you've got this farcical series of unbelievable events featuring a wonderful on-screen couple uh that like, it's just full of sheer likability and i only cried at one of these movies and that's <laughs> why while you were sleeping, gets my vote this week. That's lovely. I, that's going to put you in a very difficult position because, Not really. well, it is if you because we will get crucified. So you have kind of an obligation <laughs> now, regardless of your love for a specific female exactly. actress. Yeah, which is why it's a good pairing. Thank you, Vicky. You're welcome because it's genuinely difficult for me. Um, <laughs> And I do really. <laughs> it can't be. Look, that's not that. that that's fear. Right that's unprofessional. That's that was unprofessional. I'm sorry. That, that is that is. A, I don't mind if you interrupt my verdict. Honestly, no, I know. It, I know you don't like. He's it, concerned about having to continue working on a podcast that might not pick when Harry met Sally and holding his head up in circles of other movie journalists, and they go. Clash of the Titles. You mean that show that while you were sleeping over when Harry Met Sally's the better romantic comedy? You you, you work on that. Next! Um, and, but I have to say, I do really love While You Were Sleeping. And not just because of Sandra, because I do love Bill Pullman and their relationship. And it wasn't, it's not even a guilty pleasure. Like I watched it and I still loved it, even though it's completely daft. But obviously, I cannot not pick When Harry Met Sally. The way I feel about that film the love I have for it, it's like it's a person. That's how much I love that film and the script and everything about it. And even though I've seen it a million times, it still surprises me. And if anyone says a bad word about it, I would get cross, even though I'm allowed to say bad words about it, I suppose. Anyway, ramble, ramble, when Harry met Sally. (laughs) Don't make that face. (laughs) That was about the length of uh, one of Nora Ephron's speeches in When Harry Met Sally. (laughs) All right, then. We have a winner, and uh, unsurprisingly, uh, it is When Harry Met Sally. Congratulations to our champion this week in the Flirty Friends face-off. That's us done for 2020, but uh, we're looking ahead to January, our Listener Picks Month. Your choice to get the Clash Pod pairing that you want to hear us do on the show. Chris, tell us more. Well, I also just want to say this dropped on December 31st. Mm. So if you are listening to this on New Year's Eve, I'm very sorry. <laughs> but Happy New Year. Yeah. 
Uh, and this is from Martin. He wrote to us and said, I've been racking my brain for a Clash Pod movie suggestion. The one that springs to mind is Spielberg's weirdest movie, Inner Space, giving me and millions of other children the lifelong fear of having Dennis Quaid trapped inside them. <laughs> uh, I suppose Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is the obvious competitor off the top of my head. So that's our pairing, Inner Space and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Inner Space and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. What a way to start January. That's good. Those, those are good January movies mm. after the... After the highs of Christmas and New Year, the lows of January, I'll see away the January blues. Uh, if you are listening on New Year's Eve, have a great New Year's Eve. If you are listening in January, I hope you had a good one. Uh, thank you very much for continuing to listen to us. We will continue through 2021. Uh, Victoria has a special message she wants to say right now. Do I? I just thought you might want to... sing Old Lang Syne, I just... <laughs> <laughs> um, Happy New Year, Alex. Happy New Year, Chris. It's been a journey. Thank you very much. Anything to add, Chris? No, I did mine. Yeah, I just, you know, I just don't want to go. I sort of wanted to keep it going. I, I wanted, I wanted, to, I wanted. You to... want 2020 to carry? Are you sure? It's, <laughs> it's been quite challenging for a lot of people. Yeah, I think maybe we should just draw a line under it. Here's to 2021 being a better year. Thank you very much for listening. Take care. Bye bye. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creative Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.